Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and as part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living interview series, we have an excellent program about America's most notorious island, Alcatraz, home of the Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary. Our guest today is Smithsonian Associate John Martini. John Martini will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up, and the title of John Martini's presentation is Alcatraz, 250 Years on the Rock. Check out our website for more details about John Martini's upcoming presentation, but we have John Martini today. Thank you so much for listening. We've got a great guest today for Smithsonian Associates Art of Living interview series with John Martini. I'll introduce John Martini in just a moment, but quickly, if you missed any episodes last week, was our 706th episode when I spoke to Smithsonian Associate, returning guest, biblical scholar, and New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Bart Ehrman. Two weeks ago, as part of our series on Women's History Month, I spoke with award-winning American television producer, filmmaker, and journalist Natasha Lance Rogoff, author of the new book, Muppets in Moscow. Excellent subjects for a not-all-better show audience, especially during Women's History Month. If you missed those shows along with any others, you can go back and check them out along with my entire back catalog of shows all free for you there on our website, notold-better.com. Alcatraz is America's most notorious island and its most misunderstood, beginning with its first sighting by Europeans in 1769 through its present standing As the top paid tourist attraction in San Francisco, Alcatraz's history is multi-layered. Former National Park Ranger and historian John Martini talks to us today about how he's uncovered both the island's infamous past as a federal penitentiary from 1934 to 1963 and its lesser-known roles as a Civil War fortress, political prison for Confederate sympathizers, and a military prison for recalcitrant U.S. Army soldiers and Native American warriors. The title of John Martini's presentation at Smithsonian Associates is Alcatraz, 250 Years on the Rock. We've got lots of questions for John. Let's just jump right in. John Martini, welcome to the program. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, this is really a treat for me. I am uh, from Northern California. I, I mentioned that a lot. I I love uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. We are, of course, going to be talking about your upcoming presentation um, at Smithsonian Associates uh, about Alcatraz, which I think is just going to be a a great one. I know our audience is going to enjoy it. There's so much uh, history. Of course, the title of your presentation is Alcatraz 250 Years on the Rock. So why don't we just start there, John, and tell us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation and maybe how you'll use Zoom to engage our audience. We're all on Zoom these days. Well, yeah, in a, in a perfect world, I'd be giving you all a guided walk around the island. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, that, yeah they uh, haven't been able to do that since COVID, but I've developed um, a uh, this uh, PowerPoint that actually really explores the history from its earliest days under the U.S. government. I, I, I should maybe preface it by saying that there, as best we can tell, there's no pre-contact history on Alcatraz uh, Island. It seems to have started when it was a uh, U.S. Uh, Fort Harbor defense fortification constructed during the gold rush. 
and we're going to use historic photographs in the Zoom, follow it all the way through the end of its historic period with the uh, famous Native American occupation uh, in the late 1960s. Fascinating stuff. I think this is going to be a great, great presentation. I'm looking forward to it myself. So tell us a little bit about your role on Alcatraz Island, what you did. Um, how long were you, you know, there in the service of uh, because you're a you you're a former National Park Ranger. But maybe tell us a little bit about that work and then give us a little sense as to the island, because it's not just the federal penitentiary. I mean, that's, of course, what it's known for in many, many circles. But tell us a little bit more about it, please. Oh, sure. So, um, my personal background is I'm from San Francisco, <laughs> and uh, I'm old enough. I remember, uh, well, Alcatraz when it was still an operating penitentiary and the publicity surrounding the famous uh, 1962 escape around uh, which many movies have been made. Um, after it closed down, I was teenager really starting to get into the history of San Francisco. And I was fascinated by Alcatraz because no one was allowed out there. Uh, I was very lucky that uh, when the National Park Service took over Alcatraz in 1973, they needed to hire uh, seasonal park rangers to show people around the island. It was the first time it had been ever open to the public. And I, I was waving my hand and I got selected. And for, uh, Two years uh, straight, I worked on the island, both giving tours and also doing uh, research. Sometimes the research was in archives. Sometimes it was doing oral histories with people who had uh, uh, lived on the island on both sides of the bars. And sometimes it was literally crawling through the structures. Uh, we knew very little about the history of the island. Um, I became fascinated by its history when it was the harbor defense fortification because it was on that base of uh, granite and brick and sandstone uh, gun emplacements and powder magazines that the later prison buildings were constructed. Uh, Alcatraz uh, evolved from a, a classic, what they called third system, U.S. Fort, um, same time as Fort Pulaski, Fort Sumter, and it was never attacked, it was garrisoned through the Civil War, and it had a secondary role that became more and more important as time went by, and that was as a military prison for locking up U.S. military personnel who broke military law. Uh, during wartime, during the Civil War, there were Confederates that were locked up out there, there were Confederate spies, there were sympathizers, there were actually some um, active uh, uh, rebellious people who uh, had a ship and they were going to turn it into a privateer for the Confederacy. They ended up locked on the island. To compress a lot of history, the uh, island role as a military fort declined through the late 19th century. And in the 20th century, it became exclusively a military prison. It was called U.S. Disciplinary Barracks Alcatraz. The soldier uh, convicts built almost all the buildings standing on the island now. Yeah prison labor, uh, including the giant prison building that uh, dominates the island. It was in the 1930s that the island became the famous uh, U.S. penitentiary Alcatraz, uh, the, the civilian penitentiary, the uh, Al Capone Machine Gun Kelly Alcatraz. <laughs> yeah, it's just got that name. You know, you think about some of these penitentiary names, you know, Soledad comes to mind and uh, Ostning, Sing Sing you know, these federal penitentiaries, Alcatraz, it really just fits with a penitentiary. But it, it's much, much different. I mean, it 
it's a beautiful island. It's a small island, though, isn't it? What are some of the vegetation features that that as a, a park ranger you would you would maybe introduce us to? Oh boy, yeah. The uh, in its natural state, Alcatraz is twenty two acres of uh, of sandstone. Um, it's uh, basic. <laughs> One person described it. It's a photograph of the island before it was developed. It looked like a a, a humpback whale sleeping in San Francisco Bay. It uh, had no pictures on it. Uh, its vegetation was just seasonal grasses that apparently grew up after the winter rains and then died off because there's no soil on the island. There's no fresh water. It really is a rock. Um, the landscape features that you see out there today that I definitely point out to people uh, when I lead uh, guided programs is the, the man-made uh, um, gardens that were constructed on the island. Uh, from the earliest time people were living on the island, they were trying to break it up, uh, the, the monotony of it, with plants and flower boxes and little tiny gardens with soil imported from the mainland. And uh, over the years, uh, very extensive gardens were planted, uh, some of them maintained by the convicts. It was about the biggest privilege you could have on Alcatraz was working as a gardener. Um, that was on one side of the island. On the other side, away from the convicts, there were gardens that were maintained by the families that lived on the island. And over the last 20 years, an extremely dedicated army of volunteer gardeners have brought these gardens back to life. Um, they take uh, walks through the gardens. There are some surviving Victorian uh, era vegetation that exists nowhere else. So that that's one of the unknown sides of Alcatraz. One of the other things that always comes to mind about Alcatraz, of course, is the is the Indian occupation uh, during the 1970s. I think there was probably, what, 20 months, 19, 20 months of occupation. I remember that pretty well. I'm kind of of this of this age and this era, and I, I am originally from the San Francisco Bay Area. So I, I knew this pretty well, and my mom was a, a school teacher there, so I, I paid attention to it. But many might have forgotten a little bit about the Indian occupation. I wonder if you'd just tell a couple of those stories, because that's, that's important in our history and important, certainly important to the history of the island. Yeah. It, in the late 1960s, there was a, uh, a growing recognition that uh, various um, ethnic groups were reflecting their political power. Uh, it was either the Black Panthers and, and uh, Chicano power. And there were a large number of Native Americans who had been relocated by the U.S. government from uh, reservations to urban areas with promises of education and jobs and housing. And they felt that they really had been sort of left out. And uh, they, too, wanted to follow some of the more um, radical organization tactics of doing something that would get publicity. And uh, some of the Native Americans banded together, and they thought about chaining themselves to the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, that had already been done. And somebody came up with the brilliant idea of occupying Alcatraz. And they uh, found a line in the 1868 treaty with the Great Sioux Nation that essentially said uh, male Sioux uh, members were eligible to homestead unoccupied government land. And they said, here we go. They landed on the island. Uh, the, the first people that landed was a small number. They were escorted off right away. But the word got out that there was only a couple of caretakers living on the island. Uh, in mid-November 1969, they came back in force. And in such large numbers, 
dozens and dozens of Native Americans from all tribes that the government um, orders supposedly came from the White House, uh, uh, hands off. We don't we don't need a showdown over Alcatraz. And uh, for 19 months, the uh, what, what was called the Indian Occupation, or now the Native American Occupation, lasted. They called themselves Indians of all tribes because they were from tribes from all over the United States. And what started out, we're from the same time period, college we called the street theater. You know, this will this will get attraction. This is the media. That's what they wanted. But they 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 didn't really want Alcatraz. They wanted Alcatraz as a bargaining chip to get the housing and the education and the job opportunities that they had been promised. But it caught fire, and especially the a lot of the younger occupiers came to believe that this is a Thunderbird University. We're going to turn this into a college. We're going to turn it into a Native American community cultural center. And uh, to me, uh, having interviewed people on both sides, what shows up is there was a schism between the old line uh, political activists who realized, you know, we won. We're in charge out here. We've got the bargaining chip. And the younger people going, no, we're going to stay. And um, for 19 months, the uh, the discussions went back and forth. The occupiers uh, wouldn't leave. The government wouldn't give in. And eventually, it just sort of it lost the public eye. It, uh, uh, most of the occupiers left. It was very difficult living on Alcatraz. And in June of 1971, federal marshals came, and they escorted the last 15 or so people off the island. And uh, they were just released in San Francisco. Uh, not even a ticket for trespassing. Uh, It just came to a very quiet close. It was fascinating because it just got a lot of attention during that time. There were celebrities that were involved. I remember Marlon Brando's name and Jane Fonda, I think, Dick Cavett. A bunch of people really got very um, interested in this and, and the island we are visiting with John Martini. John Martini is a retired former National Park Ranger and historian John Martini will be presenting um, Alcatraz 250 Years on the Rock coming up at Smithsonian Associates. We will put links so that our audience can find out more information about John's upcoming presentation about John and the books that he has written about Alcatraz and other subjects. But just a fascinating guest and fascinating subject, John Martini. Let's talk a little bit about... um, the tunnels, because I think a lot of people will be unaware. I can hear you're you're already reacting. I think the tunnels they're seldom seen, and and they they're they're beneath the buildings throughout the the island. But maybe tell us a little bit about them, because you've really become an expert in those tunnels. Sure, I will. Uh, in fact, in my my, my uh, Zoom presentation, I'll include the photographs of some of those tunnels uh, in the closed areas of the island. Um, I mentioned earlier that the army had fortified the island during the uh, California gold rush. And then uh, there was extensive remodeling after the Civil War. Uh, and it, it involved uh, tunneling in several areas into the native rock. Um, in other areas of the island, they did what we call cut and fill construction, where large underground uh, bomb-proof storerooms were built, uh, water cisterns. In the course of evolving the island into a prison, 
Several of the fortifications were partly demolished and new buildings built on top, leaving these mysterious so-called tunnels that, that are all over the island. Now, the longest one is only about 120 feet long. It was a shortcut from one side of the island to the other. The others are pretty much little uh, individual freestanding rooms that had uh, origins like they were uh, powder magazines for storing ammunition or food storage uh, underground magazines. But because most of them were closed off and because there was an institutional memory that uh, passed down from older convicts to newer convicts coming in and that the island was honeycombed with Spanish dungeons, some of which you know, led to freedom if you could only you know, find the magical entrance to the Spanish tunnels. If they became legendary. They're pretty strange once you get into them. Uh, they, uh, turns out old military fortification maps starting in the 1850s show where they're all located. And uh, we have found that most of them are still there, just buried in place. Uh, we even think below the prisoner's recreation yard, there's a complex of underground storage uh, uh, tunnels and magazines just waiting to be excavated. They were uh, filled in during the construction of the prison building. Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, and everything Smithsonian? As part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum-based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our audience here on radio and podcast can explore our website for more information, links, and details at notold-better.com. Thanks, everybody. John Martini is our guest today. John will be speaking at Smithsonian Associates. The title of his presentation is Alcatraz, 250 Years on the Rock. I think such an interesting location. And as I say, the, the penitentiary gets most of the attention. We talked a little bit about the Indian occupation. What are some of the other significant stories that you can share with us that uh, just briefly, we don't want to we don't want to uh, divulge too much. We want to get people excited about attending your presentation. So whet, whet our appetite a little bit, though, with some of the other stories that you might share just briefly. Oh, sure. Uh, Alcatraz is not just a big rock in the middle of San Francisco Bay. It's also a hazard to navigation. And uh, first structure built on the island was the first lighthouse on the West Coast of the United States. Uh, basically to help ships coming in during the gold rush boom to help them navigate into San Francisco Bay. Um, it's still operating. Uh, different building, but the light is still operating, although it's now all automated. Um, I'm also fascinated by, by the various um, escape attempts that took place when it was an army prison, because they were much more creative than the, the, the federal penitentiary guys. Uh, there are innumerable stories of convicts. Like, uh, one, uh, one pair of guys, they stole a big butter vat and uh, made some oars, and they were trying to row across San Francisco Bay in a butter vat. Uh, one guy uh, had himself nailed in a, uh, a crate, and his buddy, um, who sealed him up, stenciled on the outside, uh, delivered to Presidio Pier, San Francisco, and he was you know, taking his cargo uh, and dropped off. San Francisco, and 
they found a crate with a kicked outside, and I don't think he was ever seen again. Um, there were uh, during the there's the, the uh, Spanish influenza. Remember, we had to wear uh, masks for so long during COVID, during the Spanish influenza, they had to wear masks. And a couple of convicts uh, stole army uniforms and they uh, wore um, flu masks and they walked on the army uh, transport and they were brought to San Francisco. Um, Alcatraz has a, a very large footprint in California history, but it didn't enter the national scene really until, um, until the federal penitentiary era. Californians knew about it. San Franciscans sure knew about it. It was considered to be a, a blight on San Francisco Bay. The Army sure knew about it. Soldiers feared disciplinary barracks Alcatraz. But it wasn't until the, uh, 1934 and the arrival of Al Capone that it really became on the national stage. And then Hollywood got its teeth into Alcatraz. And boy, uh, we're still undoing Hollywood Alcatraz. <laughs> right, right. What What is the status of the island today? Because it it is a recre it's it's a designated federal recreations uh, location. So, how many visitors does it get annually or monthly or what what uh, what what is the attention there? And um, and and maybe tell us about is is it still a nautical uh, landmark there in the bay? Oh, yes, definitely a nautical landmark. It's uh, on all the charts because all the uh, shipping coming into San Francisco Bay has to go uh, on, on one side of it or another and uh, not get too terribly close because there are uh, some rocks just offshore of the island. Uh, the island has always been a federal property, um, not disclaiming the uh, Native American claim so much. But that from the start in the 1850s up through present, uh, it's uh, exclusive federal jurisdiction. Uh, it was transferred from Department of Army to Department of Justice to uh, the uh, Department of the Interior. And it's now part of a large national park site called the Golden Gate National Recreation Area, it's like 75,000 acres. Alcatraz is part of it on its own. It's a national um, historic site uh, because of all the various layers of, of, of history that have taken place. Only way to get there is by uh, ferry, uh, which is uh, main, maintained by a concessionaire for the Park Service. And uh, it's the number one paid attraction in San Francisco. During the summer months, tickets will sell out weeks in advance. Uh, it, it, it's very disappointing, but there's a carrying capacity. There's really only so many people you can have on the island at one time and so many people that can go out on boats that operate so frequently. But the last year before COVID, <clears throat> the uh, annual visitation was 1.5 million. Wow. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are there still people living on the island? Um, no. There's uh, you know, security all, all the time, but nobody actually lives. On the island, the um, back in the day, uh, there were uh, transport boats that brought uh, food and water out continually, and, and fuel oil, and uh, any byproducts, any garbage, any sewage, just was thrown into San Francisco Bay. You know, we, we 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 don't operate like that anymore. Uh, all the water and uh, food and oil for the generators still has to come out by boat, but everything is all garbage and wastewater is hauled away. 
the we um, the, there's just it's the island isn't habitable. In fact, it, my research showed uh, that at one point in 1963, when they were thinking of closing the island, they uh, one of the many justifications that came up for closing it was a water treatment plant was going to have to be installed on the island that would treat all the sewage water before it was released back into San Francisco Bay. And it was just another number of items that made maintaining the island such a sky-high cost that it was cheaper to shut it than to uh, mm-hmm. keep maintaining it. I understand from my research in, about you and, and uh, your work with Alcatraz that you actually spoke to some individuals who who lived on the island previously. What did they have to to tell you well as you can imagine you get a couple of very different opinions uh people of our generation and a little older who grew up out there as kids at any given time there were about 75 kids on the island it was great took the bus into uh, rather take the boat into school every day uh, they uh on the island itself there were a big playground area uh, they uh, had a, a teen club they, there was a little store uh, everybody knew everybody. It was a small town. Uh, the uh, to the guard staff, it it was a job site, and uh, the, that old expression, uh, "hours of boredom broken up by moments of sheer terror," that's what it was like being a, being a correctional officer at Penitentiary Alcatraz. For the most part, it was low key. It was routine. It was mundane. Most of the prisoners just wanted to serve their time and get out. But boy, when, when it broke, when there was a fight or there was a, a huge riot in 1946 in which a couple of guards were killed, um, it, it, it could be a very dangerous place. To the people who did time on the island, uh, almost to a man, because there were never any women convicts, almost to a man, they just detested the place. Um, it wasn't, uh, it isn't the staff were, you know, abusive or that they were fed terrible food or anything. It was uh, boredom, just day after day of the same routine, only maybe on a weekend when you could go to a chapel and have extra time in the recreation yard. But otherwise, it was, you know, uh, go to work in a shoe shop or a uh, brush factory, spend uh, 20 hours a day in your cell, uh, maybe get out for meals, occasionally a movie. But there was no education. There, there were no uh, recreational facilities. You could, you know, uh, with your savings, you could buy a checker set, maybe play uh, checkers uh, in the recreation yard. But you, none of the things like where there um, are, are rehabilitation classes or fine arts or anything like that. It was, it was meant to be a minimum privileged prison. And it lived up to its reputation. There's only one guy I ever interviewed who really liked Alcatraz, and he'd come from some just uh, 1920s hellhole uh, in Canada. And after what he went through in Canada, Alcatraz was a piece of cake. Final question for you, John Martini, and we sure appreciate your time. Thanks for being so so generous today. With 250 years on the rock, I would imagine that the infrastructure on the island, the buildings – Everything is just aging and um, maybe even deteriorating to the point of uh, real need for for preservation. What's what's going on in terms of um, kind of returning Alcatraz to its to its glory or just maintaining it in any way, shape, shape or form? 
Oh, boy, you put your finger on it. The, the uh, biggest and largest building on the island, the prison building, it was completed in uh, 1912. So that makes it 111 years old. And it was not built of the finest materials by the greatest craftsmen. It was built by, you know, impressed convict labor. And it's really showing age. We put millions and millions of dollars into uh, stabilizing the building. The, uh, the foundations were lacking. So we had to build new foundations uh, to tie the building into the actual rock of the island. The exterior was spalling concrete everywhere. Pieces were flaking off. At one point, we had to build a caging uh, over the tour route to catch pieces of concrete that were flaking out. That's uh, being replaced in sections. Um, there's Every building is in harm's way and needs help. And there is a priority list for when money becomes available in funding packages to rehabilitate the buildings. We don't use the word restore for the most part because in park service terminology, restoration means you pick a set time and uh, you bring everything back to exactly how it looked at that time that you can document in terms of you know, furnishings and color and everything else. Well, the island kept changing over the years. It kept getting new uses. So what we're doing, for, except for some specific areas inside the prison where we are restoring like certain cells or restoring the uh, uh, Sally port to how it looked in the 1960s, that's when we can best document. For the most part, we're rehabilitating the buildings for more contemporary uses, uh, maintenance buildings, um, warehouse and storage. Uh, the interior of the old power plant has been converted into a giant uh, bank of storage batteries. Uh, we have the solar panels uh, atop the prison to so maximize the uh, green footprint of the island. It's, when it was a penitentiary, it was hurting for money. One reason that they closed it as I mentioned, the water treatment was necessary. Well, all the buildings needed millions of dollars worth of rehab work uh, 60 years ago. So uh, the buildings don't heal themselves. So now it's coming on the park service to find money. So it's a, it's, the island's in harm's way, like so many historic sites. But there's a dedicated group of people working on preserving it. And I know you're working on that, too, and you'll let us know how how that progress is coming during your upcoming presentation at Smithsonian Associates. John Martini has been our guest. And, uh, John, thank you so much for your time. It's just fascinating. I, I've enjoyed talking to you. I hope, I hope you'll come back and tell us uh, about any updates of Alcatraz. I know, I know our audience will really enjoy your upcoming presentation and then hearing more from you. But, John Martini, thank you so much for your time. Have a great rest of your day. Well, thank you. My thanks to John Martini for his generous time today. Remember to check out John Martini's presentation at Smithsonian Associates. The title is Alcatraz 250 Years on the Rock. You can find out more information on our website today in the show notes. My thanks, of course, always to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful, not old, better show audience. Please be well. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next week.